This is going to be the last Geek 4 for a little while. I'm going to take a hiatus, probably for the summer. Doing this podcast has been an amazing experience. I've talked to amazing people and heard remarkable stories, and I'm so grateful for everyone willing to share. It's also been the year of a global pandemic, and I'm really tired. So I'm going to take some time and regroup. I might record some interviews to be ready to start again in the fall. If you've enjoyed Geek 4, please tell your friends, share about us on social media. Getting the word out about a podcast is really hard. And anything that you can do to help, if you enjoy it, is greatly appreciated. Whether that's subscribing on your podcaster of choice, leaving a review on Apple Podcast, which helps the algorithms, I don't understand how. Retweeting things that I post, I will be active on social media. Whatever you can do to spread the word, I appreciate it. And thank you for listening. I have so enjoyed this project, and I look forward to seeing you again in the fall. This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? I'm joined today by Jeremy Marin, and today we're going to talk about his long-term love affair with heavy metal music. Jeremy, welcome so much to Geek 4. I'm so happy to be here, Michael. Thanks for having me. And that's a great way of describing my affectations for the every, all things metal. So where does this begin? Where, where, do you, where do you discover metal? Yeah, so I was, I was, this is what I thought most about when you invited me to do the show was like, where the heck did this love affair begin? Um, and like, I remember like growing up when I was little, you know, I grew up in a fairly I guess, conservative home, but my mom was really, she didn't really restrict what I looked that but even so i was growing up in the 80s and you know the satanic panic was in the cultural milieu at the time and i remember like like when i saw like headbangers or heavy metal things on tv i, I was kind of like cryptically fascinated with it uh not that i was curious to explore it but i was like fascinated and drawn to it in kind of like a, a taboo way in the same way as like when you were at the video store and you saw like horror movies that you weren't able to watch yet uh, but I remember like my like earliest memories are seeing like things like Iron Maiden uh, with Eddie uh, on videos or uh, Gene Simmons spitting blood uh, from Kiss. And, you know, what, like just being out and around and seeing like bangers with their heavy metal shirts on and being like, oh, those guys are like the bad guys. Uh, <laughs> like, but in, in terms of so it was kind of like this distant fascination when I was young, young. And I guess like thinking about it, I was I kind of got into metal as a fan, ironically, probably at the worst possible time for the metal genre uh, in the early nine or I'm sorry, the mid 90s, early oh. 90s. It was kind of like falling with, you know, Nirvana and the grunge movement. But by the mid 90s, like all of the big bands were like releasing pretty not that great albums. Uh, it was really, really uncool. There weren't a lot of uh, metal happening, but that was when I started getting into it. And I was thinking back. And there were a couple of things. 94, it was kind of like my entry where I was starting to like popular music mm -hmm. generally. I was starting, you know, I'm 14. You're starting to like music. And I was liking some metal as part of that. Metal or metal. My mm -hmm. first CD I ever had was Bon Jovi's Greatest Hits. Uh, but I also had a friend named Tyler Irvine who I thought was cool in terms of his music liking. And he was really into Megadeth oh. uh, and Guns N' Roses. And he, and he, so I started talking about as though I liked Megadeth around 1994 but i wasn't really too familiar with it to be honest but one cassette that he did lend me was guns and roses 
the Spaghetti Incident, mm. which was ironically the released metal album because it was actually a punk cover album. But I really, really liked uh, the, the Spaghetti Incident. Beavis and Butthead was becoming a thing at the time as well. So heavy metal was kind of, they, uh, I guess they would kind of make fun of some parts of heavy metal, especially the glam metal, 80s metal, uh, which ironically I would get super into later. But I was kind of familiar with uh, Beavis and Butthead. I really liked them. And then they released, I think, 94 or so, they released a soundtrack, the Beavis and Butthead Experience. Yep. And on that album was a Megadeth song, 99 Ways to Die. And that's when I actually started. I actually liked a Megadeth song. Hmm. But So I was kind of liking music generally around that time. I joined Columbia House around that time. So I was getting like Nirvana, Soul Asylum, all these CDs, Collective Soul were coming to me. So I was like, oh, popular music. I'm interested in this now. And metal was a component of that. Mm. And I think it was 95 when I kind of started to really solidify my love of uh, metal. 95, 96, again, terrible time for metal generally. Uh, but I remember there was a pawn shop actually pretty close to where you teach. Uh, I was at the corner of the Israeli freeway where it hits Main Street. Oh, yeah. And I bought two CDs there, uh, ACDC Back in Black and Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusion 1. And I was absolutely blown away by uh, these two CDs. And that was where my interest started to kind of dovetail more specifically into metal. Uh, also at the time, also around Portage and Maine, there was a music store called Musiplex. Mm. Um, and they had uh, listening stations that you could listen to CDs. I guess most CD stores had them at the time. It seems so quaint and weird now to think about, <laughs> especially with COVID. You would never, I would never like pick up other people's headphones? headphones. No, no, no. <laughs> would not have you having that. But I remember uh, a tribute album, The Black Sabbath, had also come out, Nativity in Black at the time, mm. and listening to that. And the, there were a bunch of bands doing songs on that album Megadeth, uh, Sepultura, um, uh, who else? Corrosion to Conformity. A bunch of metal bands, so covering like classic Black Sabbath songs. So that really uh, kind of was pulling me into that. And then, so if 94 was kind of like, uh, I guess maybe 95 was like, oh, there's a lot of good stuff here. Back in Black, man, User Illusion 1, those were pulled me in. But 96 uh, was where um, I had a cousin, an older cousin who was going to take, who decided to take me to an ACDC concert on the Ball Breaker tour. Ooh. So to rehearse for that concert, I got uh, an ACDC live album and I was just completely uh, blown away when I saw them live. It was just absolutely, it was my first metal show. I had, I think it was my second show overall. I saw Moist, mm -hmm. the uh, Canadian alternative band in 95. ACDC was my first metal show and what a first metal show. Yeah. Uh, by the conclusion, the, the last song I think was for those about to rock, we salute you with the cannons going off. Uh, with Hell's Bells, they have the big bell. I mean, I was just like in love. 97, I saw Kiss. I saw Metallica when they came here on the live tour. So by that point, I was uh, fully just in love with uh, metal it. and found finding this kind of like community and uh, uh, affinity with other people who liked metal like immediately so quickly. So I'm curious about the community thing. I mean, that's one of the things that I... I enjoy talking to my guests about is the ways in which we connect with other people around the things that we love. So what was the metal community like in Winnipeg in 94, 95, 96? Uh, well, I guess for, like for me, I was about 14, 15 at the time. I was going to a private school, so I certainly wasn't in the metal scene by any stretch of the imagination. But, but you are now the bad boy. <laughs> yeah, well, kind of, I guess. Yeah, I guess some teachers might have thought myself and some of my other friends who liked metal were Bad boys. I did get in trouble from our vice principal for wearing an Ozzy Osbourne shirt, probably in grade 11 or grade grade 12. But Was it black with the white 
with the white sleeves. It was but, not. It was not black oh. with the white sleeves. It just. It was a very tame shirt. It just had Ozzy, a photo of Ozzy on the cover, going like this. Oh. But I guess Ozzy was known as bad. Yes. The uh, like there was a basically. So I mentioned this guy Tyler Irvine, who I was friends with ninety four, ninety five. Um, our friendship kind of dissipated. Nothing. Nothing dramatic or anything like that. But there was another uh, fellow in high school who was a real metalhead, and he was a true metalhead because he had long hair. Um, he had a lot, a lot of the kind of more uh, graphic shirts, but he and I were the ones who started to really bond over uh, metal around that like 95, 96 nativity in black kind of stuff like that. He was really into some of the newer metal that was coming out of the time, like machine head and fear factory, which were, um, I said that there wasn't a lot of new metal coming out at the time. And that was true, but those were kind of the two of the really big bands mm-hmm. um, that were coming out at the time. Uh, his, and his name was Joe we would eventually be in a metal band together a few years down the line. But at the time he was more into the heavier stuff. I was more into, um, well, I had mentioned ACDC and Guns N' Roses. I'd also mentioned Columbia house. And one of the, do you remember, were you a member of Columbia house? Michael, oh yes. Oh yes. So you remember the, what you I had probably to do. still owe the money actually. Yeah. Well, I think, I don't know if they're <laughs> going to be collecting you anymore from anymore. I think their heyday is a long past, but yeah. you probably remember that you had to, they would send you a selection of the month. Mm-hmm. That you would have to tell, you would have to send back that you didn't want it. Yes. Or else they would send it to you. Um, And I would always say no, no, no. But then there was one, it was 96. So right at the time, this time, well, the selection of the month was Poison's Greatest Hits. And I was like, I I knew of Poison. Mm -hmm. Like, like like I'd heard of them. Uh, And I was like, I knew that they were kind of glam metal. I was like, well, I'll give this a try. I still owe Columbia House probably three of the massively overpriced CDs that you pay for the 25 one cent CDs that you get. Yeah. Uh, and I remember getting this album in 96. It must've been 96 because it's called Poison's Greatest Hits 86 to 96. So it has mm. to have been there. Uh, and I remember putting it on and like the first five songs are like nothing but a good time. Talk dirty to me. Unskinny bop. Every rose has its thorn fallen angel. And I was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> there was something in that that grabbed me even more. I would say than ACDC's back in black and guns and roses, use your illusion one. There was something about that. Like this first song is nothing but a good time. Uh-huh. And that was one of the quotes from my grad yearbook a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. Don't need nothing but a good time poison. Oh yeah. Profound. Uh, but that was my entry into the kind of eighties metal scene, like, uh, like poison and then into Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Rat. And um, and then kind of Iron Maiden and Priest were kind of the heavier versions of that. But for many years and maybe even up to the present, that is my passionate subgenre for metal. Like that's kind of what I go to when I want to feel really good. That's my uh, party trick when we go to a friend's house for a barbecue when we're allowed to and restrictions allow, of course. Uh, and they'll put on like the 80s. Any metal day now. Playlist. Any day now. Any day now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but last summer when we were able to see people, you know, we put on the 80s metal playlist and me and another guy um, were competing against who could recognize the songs faster based on like the opening two, two notes or whatever. Uh, so the 80s metal is like my guilty pleasure. I, I played in a band in, uh, this is a different band than the, the band that I mentioned earlier. This yeah. was a band called Sound Rage that I was in from 2000 to 2003 steinbach based kind of hard rock heavy metal group and we played uh, a festival the coolest show we ever played was a festival in beulah north dakota hmm. where's beulah north dakota i still don't know and i was there <laughs> two years in a row uh but it was called party in the pasture uh Ooh. and we got to play with there were some bands there uh priest played there one year rat uh uh warrant uh, mm-hmm. la gun or not la guns firehouse 
but we got to play with a lot of these really cool bands. We were on the second stage, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to be able to see these bands uh, that we were just idolizing was uh, super, super uh, exciting. Uh, and I remember I, we were staying at a, the Super 8 in Beulah, North Dakota. And uh, I saw, we were down in the lobby and I saw this guy with a blonde mohawk. And he was complaining at the front desk that something was wrong with his toilet. And then I heard him say Elaine. And I realized that was Janie Elaine, who was the singer from Warrant, Cherry Pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a mohawk at the time. <laughs> so then I was like, that's Janie Elaine, that's Janie Elaine. So I, was, I kind of ran up the Super 8 hallways, like yelling after him, Janie, Janie, Janie. <laughs> and he wasn't really that interested to speak to me because his toilet was overflowing. He probably, <laughs> Be- the Super 8 in Beulah was probably not the pinnacle of the career that he was uh, no. going for. But eventually I caught up to him and shook his hand. Uh, but that was, so it, I guess that's a long way of saying like 80s metal was kind of like my, the true love of excitement that carries through to this day. How would you characterize the difference between that 80s metal? Because like it, you talked about the the satanic scare that was in the air. That was certainly part of that. Um, but looking back on it now, I mean, when I was a kid, it looked so terrifying. Now mm-hmm. I just see it. It's total theatrical. Like it's totally theatrical. And yeah. it's about performance. And some of those bands have amazing ballads. Like it's not just it's not just play the instruments loud and fast. There's, there's craft and musicianship and things that you might not expect yeah. from the outside looking in. How would you characterize 80s metal versus some of the other stuff? I would, well, I'd say like 80s metal is, uh, there, there's different subgenres. If 80s metal is a subgenre, there's sub-subgenres, right? So you have like, there's like the thrash scene, mm. right? That I, that I, that I like but it was not my go-to. So the bands like Slayer, um, their uh, satanic imagery was maybe a bit more uh, overt and shocking, like still shocking, still perform- mm-hmm. performance value, uh, but more kind of consistent. Whereas Motley Crue, like Shout at the Devil was kind of like their satanic album. Yeah. album. Shout at the Devil, they have a beautiful instrumental on it called God Bless the Children of the Beast. Um, I think on... Their next album, Theater of Pain, they still had some pentagrams, but it was that was the one where they had smoking in the boys' room in Home Sweet Home. And there was more pink and purple than black and red from their previous album. But in terms of the sound of 80s metal, in terms of the uh, poison, like the non-thrash side of 80s metal, yeah. there there is something, like I would just classify it as like, there's something, I think what I love about it is like the, is climactic about it. Like everything builds towards these bombastic courses that are often carried out. I love high clean male vocals like mm. that's my like i just love like uh back when vince neal could hit notes which is not so much the case anymore as nope. any you can if you've seen some of his more recent performances but like sebastian bach and uh, still hit from notes skid row yeah absolutely um uh bruce dickinson mm-hmm. uh from maiden rob halford from priest when they hit those uh, notes where everything builds towards like a really great sing-along course. I mean, Bon Jovi I get, and Def Leppard are probably the kings of the mm-hmm. bombastic sing-along courses. Um, and that's, that's the, the aspect of that that I really, really enjoy. Um, and the, like, I'm not, I'm not a musician. Um, like when I was in a band, I was the singer and I'm, like, I'm not a musician at all. Like, uh, so I can't speak to the uh, technical skill of the Mick Marses and Nikki Sixes and CC Devilles, uh, but I would say that, that there it wasn't a virtuoso skill. It was a skill in creating catchy hooks mm. that got you tapping your foot and eventually, if your hair was long enough, banging your head. 
Uh, and I had long hair from about 2001 to 2003, 2004 maybe. And I still dream about having long hair sometimes. Uh, I but just my dream about having hair. Ever... What was that? <laughs> I just dream about having hair. There we go. Well, you know, we all dream based on our experience. Uh, but uh, but it was definitely, yeah. Long hair was definitely a very important part of the scene as well. And kind of like a marker of your metal adherence. Well, it's it's interesting. In high school, you could always tell the metalheads or the skids as they were they were often called. <laughs> That's what they were called. It. Yeah. You know, a couple of years difference between us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's certainly in South Oshawa in Ontario. Um, <laughs> and it was like the feathered long hair, probably a mullet, but I don't think we had that, that term. Um, the black shirt with the white sleeves, the classic, you know, the, the really tight jeans. There was a yeah. look. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting to me because I have several friends, like people with PhDs in like very eclectic areas, New Testament studies, for example, who are huge metalheads. They just, they, they don't look the part anymore. They've kind of cleaned up and have moved on, but that, that love of the music remains and their, their enthusiasm when priest is coming to town or somebody like they're going to go see a show and they get to relive that experience. It's so it's different from other fandoms that I know um, that, you know, you, you keep that separate. You don't wear the uniform anymore, but you hang on to it because the love of the music is so intense. Yeah. Actually the, uh, the guy in high school that I was talking about who we were, I was eventually in a band with, uh, he also has a PhD and is a religious studies professor um and actually his brother was also in the band with us he also has a phd and ironically where i work now i work in a museum we have a small department of maybe six uh three of us three so three of the six are huge metal fans and have phds as well like it was a, a, a weird overrepresentation. and two of us used to be singers in metal bands so there's something about maybe it's like uh like marching to the beat of your own drum a little bit that uh, yeah. And I mean, it's it's much, much more complicated music than most people give it credit for, like, you know, non fans give it credit for. Yeah. I think there's a theatricalness that it like just draws people in. Um, yeah. That's much smarter, again, than people give it credit for. But what is it about metalheads who join bands? That's also something that like my 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 friends who like country, A, I don't understand it, but they don't join country bands. Metal people <laughs> make metal bands um yeah i mean that's a really good really good question like when i when i joined my first band in high school called serrated scalpel great name great fantastic name, name. <laughs> Fanta yeah like you can't get a better name than that uh, it was a death metal band and uh, so this was the my friend from high school and his brother and a couple of their friends as well and they they did they did they needed a singer or vocalist i guess technically and I think it was in math class in like grade 11 and I, or early grade 12. And I was just like, I'll be the vocalist. Um, he's like, yeah, that sounds good. So I didn't even, I don't think I even knew what death metal was at that time. Cause there, there was a video of my very first practice with them. And I'm wearing this like Charlotte Hornets teal spring jacket. Like it's the least metal thing you could, you, you could wear. And they were, and they were covering, we were covering uh, Slayer's song seasons in the abyss. And I remember them trying to tell me, I was like, no, 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 you're, you got to growl. You're not singing. You're not yelling, it's growling. And I, I couldn't, I didn't get it. So in, in the first, uh, like the first, uh, first video, I'm kind of like, rawr, 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 kind of like that. Like, I'm not really understanding what death metal is, but I eventually got it. I do like, I do like 
death metal is also a genre that has like a very wide array yes. of uh, types. My favorite, actually, my favorite metal right now is probably melodic death metal, especially in kind of um, from Scandinavia. Two of the concerts that were canceled because of COVID were melodic death metal bands who were supposed to be coming to Winnipeg at the Park Theater, uh, tragically. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, melodic death metal was kind of like one that I, uh, that was a genre that I got into. Like I, I, like I, there was a moment that I got into it and it must've been around 96 or 97. I was watching Power 30 mm-hmm. on Much Music, the metal program. And there was this song that came on by a band called Amorphous and it's called Black Winter Day. And the song starts, um, and this must've been after, after I knew what death metal was. Because if I had seen this before my practice, I would have known what death metal was. Mm-hmm. But this song, like death metal has the, like, like traditional death metal is like uh, super low tune, like like that. Yep. Um, this started off with kind of this uh, organ music in the mm-hmm. waltz beat. And then the guitar comes in there. And then the low growl. And it was this first time that I had heard death metal paired with it in this melodic way mm-hmm. uh and the the growl like the vocalist at that time super low growl but then it was also combined with like super clean soaring vocals and it was this combination so that was kind of when i was first exposed to melodic death metal and that is kind of like another it's 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 so different from 80s metal but it's kind of like a parallel love that i've had mm. um and actually i got to see amorphous for the first time probably in 2017 i think at the park theater and mm. they were supposed to come again and that was a, i guess that was a third show that was canceled because of uh covid the park theater does good stuff uh they yeah, get, they've incredible. been mentioned a number of times on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> if you were if you were encouraging somebody who was curious about getting into metal it's such a diverse field. Where would, how would you guide them? I guess it depends who it is. Mm-hmm. Like right now, my son is super into melodic death metal with me. He's nine and he loves Amon Amarth. Vi- like their videos like are all about Vikings and swords and stuff like that. He is super into Amon Amarth right now. But I wouldn't say that's like a very accessible uh, means to get in to the music. I think right now, because if uh, like the back, Maybe 10 years ago, I would have like gone towards like the Motley Crue uh, and Poison and uh, Warrant Cherry Pie, like all these songs that really have those great hooks. Mm-hmm. Now I think like people know that already. And if they're not into that, that's just not going to be their thing. But uh, I try to play things that are kind of like unexpected. So uh, like I try to bring out, like if my parents are here, I'll maybe bring out some of the melodic death metal that's a bit more melodic. Mm-hmm. I've also been getting into some folk metal. Uh, that incorporate kind of, um, I guess, traditional instrumentation from uh, specific countries that the music is from. So the mm. two that I have been most into, there's a group called Elvedi. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly from Switzerland. Um, and they incorporate uh, like the uh, hurdy-gurdy and various, uh, I don't want to call it a harp, but maybe it's a lute. Like in, the crazy instrumentation in there. They were also supposed to come to Winnipeg. Mm. <laughs> wow. Uh, stupid COVID. Stupid COVID. <laughs> Um, and their singer, so they have like a death metal vocalist, but they also have some clean female vocals, which I love that combination of the, of the growl and the female vocal, clean female vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're The Elvedi's, uh, former female vocalist has branched off to a new band called Cellar Darling, who also include Hurdy Gurdy and a lot of their instrumentation. And then there's this other band that gets very confusing from Mongolia called The Who, but it's <laughs> H-U. 
course yeah, it is. Yeah, so they, they're, they, it sounds the same as one of the biggest bands in the world. Yes. Uh, but they're different. And they use traditional Mongolian instruments, and including traditional Mongolian throat singing. That's fascinating super like and their videos are really really cool as well so highly recommend uh, checking them out but they're uh, so i kind of like bring it out if i'm trying to get people into metal who uh-huh. are totally not in i try to get in the unexpected things that you don't think of when you think of like people who don't who dismiss metal i try to kind of get that uh bring that uh I, into them i've never heard of folk metal and that sounds fascinating to me the the use of traditional instruments of wherever they're from yeah. and then elements like throat singing which i mean you said it i was like of course like that yeah. would sound so awesome on a death metal oh that's that's brilliant yeah it's a real rabbit hole you can really go like with the you know, now that we're in the world of like apple music and spotify like it's just it's just so wonderful um yes. obviously there's issues for artist compensation through these means but thinking back to when uh, when I had seen that first amorphous video that I fell in love with Black Winter Day and I never saw it again on much music and I tried to send in requests for it on what was that RSVP RSVP yeah yeah, yeah request of songs yeah. for video play and I never saw it again and I was just I wanted to see it and hear it so bad eventually I ended up buying the album for like $25 which you did back in the day um but uh now you can really build your repertoires and really find out what you like you don't even know like like a year ago, I didn't really know that I was going to be really into these the Swiss folk metal mm-hmm. band, uh, and I just discovered it because I saw the Park Theater is so good because they were I saw saw they were bringing them to Winnipeg. I was like, oh, I'm going to check these out, see if I like it, and want to check it out. And like immediately, I was like, oh, where, where have you been all my life? I didn't know that the the metal I was listening to didn't have enough loot in it, <laughs> but it did. And now I know you need loot, yes, and you um, need hurdy gurdy. There's a, there's a distinct lack of throat singing in this metal. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Uh, I can't wait to go back to the park. Uh, they've redone it and I'm very excited to. Yeah. It looks like they've see. done some really amazing. Uh, yeah. Renos yeah. in there, Completely but keeping the spirit. It. Yes. Yeah. No, oh, that's great. Do you have time for some quick back and forth, quick answer stuff? Sure. Questions about all sorts of things, different topics, not just music. Okay. What is the last metal album you bought? Um, I think it, so it would have been I'm going to count that I purchased an album on Apple Music and that would have been Judas Priest's Firepower their most recent album. Besides metal, is there something else you're a huge fan of that might surprise people? I guess my other huge passion is horror movies often they go hand in hand with heavily heavy metal so I don't know if that would surprise people uh but uh super into uh super into uh, horror movies as well. Is there something that people think you would be a geek for that you've never been able to get into? I guess uh, playing music because I'm so into metal. People would assume, and I should have started playing guitar. I don't know why I didn't. I regret it completely. Uh, But I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know, like when I was in a (laughs) band, like I couldn't really contribute to any of the other than the vocal patterns. I couldn't contribute to anything. So what's one concert you wish you had been able to attend? Uh, that's an easy one. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne. I have seen Ozzy. I saw him last year. I know this isn't a quick back and forth answer, but this that's is a fine. good story. Yeah. So this Ozzy uh, came to Winnipeg in 1996 on his Osmosis tour. I think 95 or 96. And uh, all my friends were going. And I was so into Ozzy at this time. It was such a good album. And uh, I had been listening to that Nativity in Black tribute to Black Sabbath. And he plays Black Sabbath songs. But the, uh, the, the uh, concert was the day after a math exam. My mom wouldn't let me go. 
Oh. And uh, my friends absolutely loved it. And they were saying like Ozzy was still really, really good at that time. Like I saw Ozzy in 2010. Mm-hmm. He, it was good to see him. He's still doing his good job, but he's like, you know, 96 to 2010. Those are a big 14 years uh, for yeah. Ozzy. And uh, I've, 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 I've told my mom, I was like, you know, parents often make decisions that their kids disagree with. And usually the parents are right. And I'm like, you were batting 99%, but that was, that was a wrong decision uh, because that math exam, like being able to see Ozzy at that time, it was such a pivotal moment. Uh, and I was so sad to have missed it. And my friends, did they rub it in that it was a good concert afterwards? Hells yeah, they rubbed it in. And I <laughs> had an exact idea of what I was missing. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. That's <laughs> such a terrible thing oh and my job so right now does not use math at all no <laughs> so if you i count on my fingers like seriously <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've done all right thank you so much for joining me today this was been a this has been a great conversation i've really enjoyed it right on michael any final things you want to leave with people uh just yeah check out if i if i could recommend like a couple of bands amorphous a-m-o-r-p-h-i-s from finland Elevati, L-U, sorry, E-L-U-V-E-I-T-I-E from Switzerland and The Who, that's H-U from Mongolia. Those are Jeremy Marin's top three picks right now. All right. Uh, Broaden the horizons for the metal community and keep on uh, representing. And always, if you see another metalhead, make sure you remind them that metal rules and they'll probably say it back to you. Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at M.W. Boyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for. <laughs> <laughs>